This episode of Astorium is brought to you by Blueberry. Not the fruit, the podcast hosting service. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, now is the time, and Blueberry is what you should be using to host that podcast. Blueberry is the gold standard for podcast hosting and provides accurate stats, your own WordPress website, and an easy-to-use format for you to get your podcast out into the world. And right now, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. All you have to do is go to orbitaljigsaw.com history. That's orbitaljigsaw.com history. And start your journey into podcasting right. When Ronald Reagan won the election of 1980, a small boy in Iceland watched with his parents. He turned to them, confused. He can't be president, he said. He's a man. This young boy and many others like him had just seen divorced single mother Vigdis Finnbogatir become the president of Iceland earlier in the year. The boy didn't know it, but Vigdis was Europe's first female president and the first woman in the world to be democratically elected as a head of state. While many Icelandic youngsters now viewed the presidency as a woman's job, her win was extraordinary. She credited her unlikely victory to an event five years prior, an event that involved 90% of all the women on the island. I'm Jake Barton, welcome to Historium. Episode 39, The Long Friday. In Iceland in the 1970s, a large majority of women worked as housewives, child-rearing, and homemaking. The women who did work outside the home were paid, on average, just over half of the wages made by a man. Breaking out of the domestic bubble and into politics and into the modern workforce had proven to be an uphill battle for women. In Iceland, women had earned the right to vote in 1915, but over the next 60 years, only represented... 5% of the parliament. During this period, the United Nations declared 1975 as the year of the woman. Like most UN decrees, not much came of it. However, several different feminist groups in Iceland decided to have a joint meeting. From leftist groups like the Red Stockings to women's workers' unions, the committee represented all sides of the political spectrum from nearly all walks of life. They were tasked with planning events that corresponded with the UN's declaration of 1975 being the, quote, year of the woman. While dates were set for rallies and voting campaigns were being planned out, the women in the committee couldn't help but feel a little helpless, that all of their efforts would be ignored. Deep down, they knew they had to make a statement that was a little more bold, a little more unorthodox. They planned a strike. Not just a small demonstration, a general strike by all women across Iceland. Women would be encouraged not to go to work, leave child-rearing responsibilities for their husbands, and gather in the capital for an enormous demonstration about their unequal treatment and to promote the general importance of women in society, just for one day. This was a massive undertaking, and the women in the committee knew it. Without almost universal buy-in from the women across Iceland, the strike would be dead on arrival. They started with branding. Strikes often have a more hostile tone to them, 
and some women believed the term strike would be a turnoff for some of the more conservative women in the country. The strike would instead be called Women's Day Off. This was also effective in garnering the attention of many working women for whom it was illegal to go on strike, but not for them to merely take a day off. Throughout 1975, the various women's organizations promoted the strike, carefully referring to it as Women's Day Off. They utilized radio broadcasts, television programs, and newspaper articles to outline the reasons for their proposed strike. Thousands of stickers, pamphlets, and posters were printed and distributed throughout the country. Stickers promoting the strike were appearing in shop windows, as were bumper stickers on cars. They made sure to let all of the women know that the day off was on October 24th. The men didn't treat the coming day with disdain or full-fledged support. Most were simply indifferent, not giving the strike much thought at all. However, as the day grew closer, there was an air of excitement amongst women, and men slowly began to take the day more seriously. Despite this, most men still quietly thought to themselves, the women are taking one day off. How bad could it really be? The day before the strike, women across Iceland planned the next day's festivities for their day off. Others told their husbands that the children would be their concern tomorrow. Before the sun even rose on Friday, October 24th, the women began their strike. Overseers of newspaper printing presses stood stunned as the few men on the floor told them they couldn't run the morning paper as all of their typesetters had been female. Managers of the markets failed to set up shop in the early morning. Understaffed coffee shops struggled to prepare. In homes, kitchen tables lay bare, devoid of the usual morning breakfast prepared by mothers. Thousands upon thousands of women reported to the capital for the various rallies, marches, and speeches. Frantic husbands raced their children to the schools or to the nearest daycare centers, only to find them all closed. Disheveled fathers holding crying babies or trying to wrangle several kids each all looked at each other, outside of the closed daycares or schools, horrified. Some men simply called into work. Others trusted their teenage children just enough to watch the youngsters at home that day. But most were forced to bring their children in with them to their respective offices or warehouses. By the early afternoon, 25,000 women had gathered in the capital. To put that in perspective, that's almost a quarter of Iceland's entire female population, all gathered in one place to remind their country of their importance. And believe me, the men were reminded. As men tried to finalize sales or contact other businesses over the phone, they realized all the phones were down across the entire country, as nearly all the switchboard operators had been women. Theater shut down as actresses refused to work. Flights were grounded due to the lack of airline stewardesses. Bank executives were forced to work as tellers in order to keep the banks open. Crying children over televised news reports. The entirety of Iceland left working was slowly realizing a fundamental truth. As the suddenly male-only working and domestic worlds were plunged into chaos, the women's rallies in downtown Reykjavik were reaching their crescendo. Women from all walks of life paraded through the streets. Some women, who had essential jobs like those in emergency services, watched the women gather with pride, with them in spirit. 
a marching band comprised entirely of women played in the city square. Old women, blue-collar workers, young girls, college students, and rural mothers all cheered alongside each other as they stood together in unity. Speeches were given by legislators encouraging women to run for public office. Amongst the crowd stood several future members of parliament and one future president. Meanwhile, workplaces abounded with children of all ages. Most children had never even seen their father's places of work before. All around Iceland, children knocked over stacks of paper, climbed on machinery, and fought for their father's attention. Some men took shifts watching all of their co-workers' children. The few stores that had enough men working to remain open quickly sold out of candy and sweets. For many men, it was a trial by fire as they struggled to multitask their jobs with their children. From then on, Icelandic men refer to that day as the Long Friday. With the entire country essentially shut down for the day, some men watched the rallies, or even participated. The husband of one of the main speakers in the capital was reportedly asked by a co-worker, Why do you let your woman howl like that in public places? I would never let my woman do such things. The husband shot back, Well, she is not the sort of woman who would ever marry a man like you. During the evening, a radio broadcast was held citing some of the results of the strike and also reported from other rallies across Iceland. All in all, over 20 rallies took place in cities throughout the country. When all was said and done, over 90% of Iceland's female population participated in the strike. The Women's Day Off Committee was overjoyed. The strike had been more successful than they could have possibly imagined. The next day, life returned to normal, but something felt different. Despite the strike essentially shutting down the country, there were few ill effects or poor reactions from men. Steimer Gunnarsson was at the time the chief editor of a conservative newspaper in Iceland, but even he had no objection to the idea. He said, quote, I do not think that I have ever supported a strike, but I did not see this action as a strike. It was a demand for equal rights. It was a positive event, unquote. Future President Vigdis Finnbogatatir agrees and recalls the event fondly, saying, quote, Things went back to normal the next day, but with the knowledge that women are, as well as men, the pillars of society. So many companies and institutions came to a halt, and it showed the force and necessity of women. It completely changed the way of thinking. We say in Iceland, the steps so quickly fill up with snow, meaning there is a tendency to consign things to history. But we still talk about that day. It was marvelous." Unquote. Vigdis won the presidency in 1980, five years after the women's strike. She became so popular as president that she was re-elected unopposed in two of the three next elections. The year after the strike, Iceland's parliament passed a law guaranteeing equal rights for women and men. Although this 1976 law was focused on federal discrimination and did little to change wage inequality and disparity, it was a large political step forward towards true equality. The strikers had achieved their goal and demonstrated the undeniable importance of women and their hard work in Iceland. Many critics ask if it really changed anything at all. They ask if it was truly worth the shutting down of industry 
and the minuscule dip in national GDP from lost work that day. In the end, was it worth it? Well, I'll leave you with this. The Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Index ranks the general gender equality of countries based on many factors. Since the strike, Iceland has consistently ranked in the top 10 countries based on their overall gender equality. For the past decade, Iceland has ranked number one every single year. So, was it worth it? I'd say, and I think hundreds of thousands of Icelandic women would also say, it most definitely was. Historium is written and produced by me, Jake Barton, and is a proud member of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. So in this episode, I wanted to explore a success story of collective action and encourage playing a small part in a large goal. We live in a paradoxical world, feeling simultaneously more interconnected, yet less hopeful than ever before. I want to encourage you, listener, that you can make a difference. Wherever you fall on the political spectrum, whether you want to help homelessness or an animal shelter with climate change or refugees or foster kids or wounded veterans, there are always ways to help out. A lot of people doing a little bit of good can change the world drastically for the better. Always remember, a great charity or a chance to volunteer is often just one Google search away. Go forth and do good together. As always, thanks for listening.